Hey, sweet friends, my name is Chef Schomburg. I started my baking business with a bottle of Di Serrano and one Bundt cake pan. Fast forward to today from news to magazines, speaking on national stages and more, I can truly say that baking has changed my life. So now, as a bakery business coach, I get to help others have the same success. I've helped hundreds of my students across the world in my global membership program create six-figure businesses, mainly from home. The Baking for Business podcast is an extension of that. From actionable tips to valuable tools and resources that can impact you as a business owner. I truly believe, y'all, we would never have been given a gift if we couldn't profit and prosper from it. So come on, darling. What are you waiting for? There is probably never a time where you thought to yourself, can I bake this? Can I make this? What does my law say? And if we're going to be totally honest, if you're looking up laws, chances are 9.9 times out of 10, you probably landed on forger.com. That's because in actuality, there is no organization that governs all these laws of all the states that come together. And the things that we get to do every single day whether it's baking something or making something from hand, there is a law that tells us what to follow, which allows us to earn an income. But there is no other place that takes all of those laws and provides information and executes so that we can be knowledgeable on how to operate a business than Forger.com. Today, we are so lucky because we'll actually be talking to David, who is the founder of Forger. You'll get to hear the story behind how it started how it can actually help you when you think, can I bake this? Can I make this? Can I really do this? As well as his podcast also. David is all about educating people in the cottage food industry. And I think today we'll actually have some fun as we get to talk to another industry leader. Hey, David, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. And so before we even get to Forager, what a lot of people don't know is that you actually bake yourself, David. And I read that you started out way early in the kitchen uh, baking cookies. So tell us about, about that. When did you start your own baking uh, journey? Well, I, I did make cookies with my brother when we were growing up. So like when I was very young, we made cookies. And that's how I started the project in the first place because I wanted to sell my cookies, but that actually didn't happen. I didn't start that business. It's a long story. I'll spare you of it. But eventually I did start a fudge business, which happened a few years ago. And I still run that today. Oh my gosh. I love that. And you know what? You really don't hear of too many people making fudge because honestly, there's so much we can do under cottage food law. And so luckily for you, well, I don't know your special secret, but you don't even have to cut on an oven, probably just a stove. So that's a lot better. And you probably end up way less sweaty than we do. So tell us about your fudge. Where did your love of fudge come in? Well, fudge is something I also made growing up. I did it with my dad all the time. This recipe comes down from my grandfather, uh, who I unfortunately never got to meet. But I can tell you why you probably don't see a lot of people making fudge and it's because fudge is definitely a very seasonal item. I have tried selling it in the summertime. It doesn't really sell well at that time. So it's just a holiday thing for me. And that works fine because I run Forager. That's my main thing. And that takes up plenty of my time. That's cool. And so you would say your fudge business, you bake part-time? Oh, my fudge business is 
extremely part-time. It's only something I do during the holidays. Okay, cool. So holiday fudge, which honestly, I would probably really eat fudge all year long. But then you eventually move on and you start an online blog site with a friend that was actually cottagefoods.org in the beginning, correct? Yeah, actually it started as forager.com, but forager.com was a marketplace concept. So initially it was going to be a marketplace where you could buy cottage food products online. That was the initial concept. And out of that came cottagefoods.org, which is the informational law website. So basically the marketplace concept did not pan out for us. And I eventually merged the two together into just forager and went with the thing that was working well, which was the law website. And I never expected the law website to take off. It was really more for my own informational purposes than anything. In fact, when I started the business, I didn't even know about the cottage food laws. I had no idea they exist. And it was some time into working on this project that I learned about them. And I realized, wow, this is pretty complicated stuff. And so I just created the website. I was a web developer at the time. um, And I just created the website as a way of like uh, just documenting all of the information in an organized way. And lo and behold, other people started to find the website, started to share the website that took off the marketplace didn't. And uh, you know, the rest is history. Wow. Okay. So that is really, really cool. So it's still cool because in a sense, you're like a blogger in our industry. Because the, the site is just a, it's an online resource, but it's a, almost like a blog within itself, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's it's definitely, I'm a content creator for sure. It's a little bit different because blogging is something where you think of people blogging consistently, whereas the laws don't really change. But so in my case, I have these law pages that document each state's law very thoroughly and you know update them as the laws change maybe every few years and then uh the content that i publish on a regular basis is more the podcast episodes that i publish every couple weeks and speaking of the laws you said so you were doing it initially like you said for yourself just collecting the laws wanting to dive in and you're located in california correct correct So you actually had a hand with actually some of the work that you've done in California, which, I mean, I think their cottage law is amazing. You can always share with me what your favorite state is. I'm in Louisiana. I'm not a huge lover of my state laws, but you guys are able to do some pretty cool things. And nonetheless, each state kind of has something different that they offer, but I find there's always a way for people somehow to actually make an income. But in regards to your state laws, what is some of the work that you've done in the past with just bringing the laws to light for more people? Well, yeah, the laws across the nation greatly vary from state to state. And so my website documents that on a map. So you can kind of visually see which states I'd think are really good, which states aren't so good. I'd have to agree with you that Louisiana's law isn't the best. Uh, hopefully it'll get better sooner than later. But um, yeah, so I, for the many, many years, just documented laws and I tracked hundreds of bills. And then in 2021, it was, you know, where our 
a year into the pandemic, and I kind of realized California's law hadn't been updated in a long time, and this was an opportunity to maybe use the pandemic to show how important it was to improve California's law. So I personally, my fudge business, for me to sell fudge effectively, I always had to go to the market every weekend at this time. I have very young kids, you know, two-year-old kids, and not really practical for me to be going out and spending a whole day at a market anymore. So I would have really loved to ship my fudge. So I started an initiative that, you know, created a bill in 2021 in California where the main objective was to allow cottage food businesses to ship. So for the first time, after all these many years of running Forger and cottagefoods.org, for the first time, I like actually got my feet wet and uh, got into the process of creating a bill. And it is quite a complicated and, and long process. But um, yeah, eventually, we fortunately, were very successful. I worked with a number of individuals and organizations in getting that to come through. That in itself is amazing. And now in California, you are able to ship within the state, correct? Yeah, yeah. Because of that bill, we can ship within the state of California. All right. So everyone in California, tell David thank you, because I think that really expands, you know, you, but even though the pandemic, like you said, it, a lot of markets weren't going on. Even now, I always tell people, don't limit yourself to just markets because you may find a market and they might already have a baker or maybe they're not taking applications for vendors. So I think the fact that you're able to ship within a state is amazing because we all love getting mail. I, I know I love getting mail. David, do, do you come home to Amazon boxes from your wife or does she hide them? <laughs> yeah, we, we try to live in how much we buy off Amazon. But I will say that ever since the pandemic, we've noticed a massive shift towards that kind of direct order. So a, a big shift towards uh, like not necessarily away from markets because markets will be a timeless, you know, and always popular thing. But people are a lot more used to the concept of buying directly from a home baker now. I love that. I love that. And so if someone was in a state and they were like, I want that for my state, how would you recommend someone getting started to go about who would they get in contact with if they wanted to advocate and say, hey, I would like to put together a bill or what advice would you have for someone listening who would like to do that in their state like you did in California? Yeah, well, I the, the Institute for Justice is an organization, it's a nonprofit that has helped sponsor many cottage food bills over the last five, six years. And honestly, I would never have tried to start that bill if I didn't know that they were going to help support me along the way, because I had no idea what I was doing, even though I know it. it's like, you know, sw like reading about swimming versus jumping into the pool. Like I I'd read about bills. I didn't actually know how to make one. So uh, with their support, we are able to get this passed and they have supported most of the cottage food bills that have come through since maybe 2017. So I would definitely recommend reaching out to the Institute for Justice and uh, they have a cottage foods website and on their website, a cottage foods page on their website, you can find information of how to contact their team. And then definitely just reaching out to your legislator, a local legislator, and see if they're interested. In my case, my legislator wasn't interested, but I leveraged California's Facebook group 
to have other people in the state reach out to their local legislators. And we found someone, an assemblyman who was willing to pick up the bill. Wow, that 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 is amazing. And it just goes to show you the power of community. You know, there's always prox- power in proximity. And so from the bills to the website to the podcast, uh, when we look at cottage bills in total or just cottage laws, you know, I know my business is baking for business. And I know we talked about you with fudge. But what I think a lot of people don't know is that cottage food, there is so much stuff that's covered. Like, you know, you have uh, dried soup mixes, uh, just so many different items that, you know, you don't have to be a baker or a caker or stuff like that. What are some of the products that you like that are actually covered for a cottage food operator, CFOs, as we're called? Yeah, well, it, it has expanded a lot. And, you know, some sometimes people think of the cottage food laws as being very restrictive and limited. They go, oh, I can't sell anything that doesn't contain meat or that can't go in the that can't go in the fridge or something like that. But what I've found in this uh in building up forager is just how many things that people can make. I mean, it is amazing the creativity. They say something like artists find their creativity with when they have constraints, right? Like Mm -hmm. there have been so many creative things that have come out of this industry and I I can't even remember them all right now, but, you know, not only have I seen a lot of things come out of the non-perishable foods, but now with all of the push that Institute for Justice has been making, we're now starting to see states that are adopting food freedom laws which are allowing people in certain states to sell perishable foods now. So, you know, perishable baked goods like cheesecakes, even perishable items like soups and casseroles. So now we're looking more into people being able to legitimately run kind of a a direct consumer home restaurant uh, in some states. So this is just sort of starting in the past five years, it's really grown a lot. And we're starting to see more states realize that, you know, homemade food really isn't all that dangerous. Uh, you know, the health departments <laughs> would, would like to t- you know exaggerate the risks. But I have to be honest with you, Amanda, I, I actually, most of the food I grew up with was homemade. Yeah. I mean, and somehow I survived. But, you know, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's like, I think there's maybe some exaggeration into the into the potential risks, um, especially when you're talking about very small scale vendors that have typically direct local connections with their customers. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's actually been on my list for the longest, but there is a cottage food operator here who does jams. And I'm always like, Man, because anytime I have extra berries, you know, or if it's after Valentine's, Mother's Day, uh, sometimes as treat makers, we get picky. So people toss the little and I'm like, don't toss the berries like you can make compote or you can make jam and sell that. And I think for me, jams is one of the biggest ones that people look over. And it's just so easy. You know, it's just like a, a, a couple ingredients. But Man, I know me personally, I put jam on anything. I probably eat it more than I should, but jam and soup mixes, like you said, I think those are two of the most overlooked things that you can do as a cottage food operator. 
I will say jams can be a little tricky because it requires so much fruit to create a jam. And if you've made jams, you know how much work they take. And so if you're, if you got a tree out in your backyard and you can just, you know, harvest it and stock up that that's great. But if you actually have to buy the fruit, I, I don't know. It just, there's a low perceived value there. So you really have to up that perceived value when you're selling your jams and you're not trying to compete with the prices in the grocery stores. That's for sure. I love, I love homemade jam though. I don't think it can compete. You have exactly. It, it's a different product, but I, I see a lot of people trying to, you know, compete with the prices and you just, you really can't, you have to be able to market it as a premium product, a homemade product, and it's going to have to have a higher price in order for the math to work out. Well, I, I love premium. I love homemade. And I know there are lots of people doing it successfully because you actually share stories of people who do different things in the industry on your podcast. And so how did that come about from doing the site to deciding, hey, I'm going to take this show on the road, the airwaves road (laughs) or the uh, earbud road, as we call it, podcasting. But when did that start for you and how did that come about? I started the podcast actually just before the pandemic hit. So February 2020, is when I started the podcast. And so I've been running this business for over a decade now. And Forager, the informational website, has been popular for about a decade now. And for many years, it was just people getting law information. And there's a community element there. But I hadn't, and I've been updating the laws, but I hadn't actually been publishing consistent content outside of my weekly newsletters that I do, my weekly emails. So the podcast is really a way for me to start to share consistent content with the community. The community find finded val the community found valuable. Mm-hmm. And why did I decide to start a podcast? Well, for one, I had gotten a lot of value myself out of podcasts, but two, I listened to my audience, right? So I asked my audience, this is back in the late 2019, you know here's three ideas of what I plan to do next with this project, which would you like to see as the one that I pursue? And the majority of the votes came in for the podcast. So that's what I did because that's what they told me to do. And that's what I think a lot of times college food entrepreneurs or any entrepreneur, especially a new entrepreneur misses is they, they want to create everything themselves and being an entrepreneur is about serving other people, right? So you have to be able to listen to your customers or listen to your audience, get their feedback because they're the lifeblood of any business. That is so true. I say all the time, the purpose of a business is to provide value to its consumers. And oftentimes we don't listen, especially when it comes down to marketing. We just want to take what we love and have our way. And we never really do like you said, which is something I encourage everyone to do because now there's so many easy ways, you know, on Instagram, there's the polls feature on TikTok, you know, you have the acts, but, or the old fashioned way, like you did just in the email saying, Hey, what would you like to see from me? And so you listen to your audience, your people spoke and the podcast was born. And now our podcasts are very different because on your podcast, you don't have, I don't believe if, if, 
any solo episodes? There, there's a couple, <laughs> but I, I definitely, uh, I, I don't know how you do what you do. <laughs> it's it's easier for me just to get someone on the show and interview them. Coming up with a whole 30 minute plus segment each week would probably be a, a little too hard for me, I think. But yeah, I, I mean, that was another thing about the podcast is at that point, I'd been in the industry for almost a decade. I had established relationships with most of anybody who was creating uh, content and stuff for the cottage food industry. So I, I knew I had the connections. I have ability for people to lists their cottage food business on my map. So I knew I had the connections to, you know, have those interviews. And I also had the awareness that this didn't exist yet. And there was no podcast out there that shared cottage food stories. And honestly, a lot of these stories are very silent. Uh, These are small businesses. They operate in their local communities. And so you're not going to hear about them on the big media site. So that's one of the beauty what that's that's a beauty about podcasts is that you know it's like a radio station but since it's so widely distributed it allows you to focus on things that maybe a mass media radio station wouldn't have a market for so it works great for this situation cuz i can really give a voice to these entrepreneurs and provide something that that wasn't available before I love that. I love that. I believe we all should uh, serve, especially within our community. And you said it, you said it best because when we become an entrepreneur, it's almost like you're a community rock star, you know, too often, especially when it comes to marketing, I always tell small businesses, your best bet is to let people in the community know about you. It's to actually get out in the community and make your brand known. And so the fact that people who are in their communities who are growing and building their businesses that you're sharing their stories as well is amazing. What is some of the, if, if you have a favorite, I know some people say they don't have favorites. I have favorites, but uh, what are some of your favorites of just the, the little people, the, the people who had stories that you were like, wow, this was amazing. Like what are some of your favorite episodes? Man, there are so many different episodes and so many different stories. And quite honestly, uh, I mean, the vast majority of them are incredible. One that really stood out to me, I actually talked about this in episode 51. One that stood out to me in the first 50 episodes was a couple that made salsa. They run a business called Nitro Salsa. And they're a husband and wife team. And, you know, it was very much by accident sort of thing where they started selling salsa and eventually had like lines out the door on their front yard. And they they just real that that episode really stood out to me because they're such service oriented people. I mean, I don't even know how they do it, but not only are they service oriented, but the way they ran their business and and how they price their products and everything with salsa, they were legitimately, I think, making over a thousand dollars per market, uh, and they sold at weekly farmer markets, farmers markets. And I know that that's something a goal that you have for your students. But at that time, I hadn't really heard of a lot of people selling more than a thousand dollars at a given market. So that was a very inspirational story for me, but. I mean, there have been just so many amazing ones, um, and it, I, 
I don't know. I think that anybody who is a listener of my podcast would agree that it's like more often than not just every episode, whether it's in an industry that is necessarily applicable to you or not. Every episode, there's something to learn. You are, you're absolutely right. And kudos to you for just opening the door. Cause I know yours started uh, b- before I had the well, sat on the idea, had the idea, even put it out there, but for opening the door and sharing other ideas and stories, which I think is just so amazing because we all learn different ways, but I love learning from people's stories. I believe we all have a story. And when you hear about how someone started and the things that they got over, it's just amazing. And I can only imagine that you had so much of that information because again, with the site, with Forager, like you said, there is a community element there. And so what were some of the stories you were hearing on, uh, on Forager? Is it some of the same stories that people share with building their business? Cause I know on the site, you have a lot of different features for people, even though you initially intended it for be for it to be a marketplace, but not just laws. You know, you also share like the limits and like food label examples and cool stuff like that. So, well, where I hear about people's stories generally is actually directly via email. So I have a mini course that I provide for free, and people do have to sign up for it, and then they get it via email over about a week period of time. The first thing I ask people when they sign up for my mini courses, tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me what challenges you're going through. Again, this this concept of listening to your audience, right? And so, I mean, honestly, sometimes I get novels back, right? Of people sharing their stories and if you once you get enough of them, you know, you start to notice the trends and gen- definitely the pandemic, there was a very big shift in the number of people who were, you know, maybe they'd thought about starting a home bakery for a long time, but never just could really get themselves to do it. And then, you know, pandemic happened and there was definitely a big group of people that were ready for something new or different. And so, there, there's just um, a lot of different stories out there. Actually, one of the trends that I have noticed is in medical professionals stepping away. Medical professionals, especially nurses, tend to be very service-oriented people by nature. And so they're actually a very good fit for the college food industry. And I guess I haven't worked in the industry, but I guess the industry hasn't really been treating them too well. So there's been a lot of those types of people and a lot of people I'd say are retiring early and deciding to, you know, do their own thing and step, step away from, you know, the norm or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's funny you say that because there are actually a lot of students I know who are actually in that field. So the minute you said that I immediately started thinking about other people. And so that that's amazing that you're able to get those stories what is your goal or your hope for uh, Forager? What do you see for it in the future? I definitely want to see Forager doing uh, doing more to support the industry. I mean, right now, I mean, actually, till just a few months ago, it was just me working on the project. I did hire somebody a few months ago. And so I'm finally starting to get to the point where I can move Forger forward in different ways. So right now what 
I'd like to do is really expand the amount of information that's available to help somebody get started in their business. And, you know, there's just not a whole lot of information, as you said, for the cottage food industry in part, like specifically. So my mini course certainly covers a lot of the basics, but then people have questions after that. So I'd like to build that out a bit more. And I mean, honestly, there are so many things and directions that I'd like to do. And, you know, there's these new movements going on and I'd like to see, you know, maps for those. And they're just, they're just a lot of things that I'd like to do to be able to support the industry more, but it has to all come in due time and it has to come as, you know, as I grow the business and as I make more money to be able to invest more money into maybe building a team to be able to accomplish some of those goals. I love that. And for the Forager podcast, is that about the same or what is your uh, future for that? Is it to continue the cadence of sharing stories? The, the podcast has always been about sharing stories. I mean, it is as much as it is a business podcast, it's just a podcast about people and about people that are making a difference in their own lives and others. So it will always be about that to some degree, as far as I uh, am planning. I maybe like to eventually have the bandwidth to bump it up to once a week. Uh, that would be nice, but um, that's probably not going to happen for at least a year, if not more. But no, really, the the future of the podcast is just keeping to doing the same thing. It's definitely been very well received in the community, and uh, don't see any. I don't have any plan to stop it anytime soon. And how do you balance? Because blog, podcast, I know a lot of people always struggle with balance whenever they find themselves in this industry and they start to become an entrepreneur. And so what are some tips for you? Do you uh, do you time block? Do you have a schedule? Are you more of a, we were talking about that earlier, are you more of a batch creator or how do you manage? Because you have two little ones. Um, your daughter literally looks like she stole your face and your son looks like he stole your wife's face. And so you have two littles you're married, the podcast and the blog. How do you uh, balance all of that? Any particular scheduling system? Yeah, I wish I could say I, I have great time management tips to share, but I'm figuring it out along with the rest of us. I mean, it's definitely been a lot of uh, turning things down and saying no to things. Uh, it was easy when I was single and um, didn't have a family, didn't have kids. And it was even pretty doable once uh, I got married, but once our son came along, and especially once our daughter came along, she's two now. It, yeah, it, it's been hard. So as I mentioned, I I got a team member a few months ago, and it just got to the point where it's like, I, no, I can't can't keep doing this myself. I used to be an independent web developer for a decade. And it was a few years ago that I decided to shut that business down entirely to focus on Forager. And, um, and, and it's just honestly, with the kids being as young as they are, the project doesn't move as quickly as it would if they if they were in school or something. So it's definitely not moving super fast in, in terms of the number of things I can add to it, but I'm keeping the ship afloat for... <laughs> 
as best as I can. And, and I'm sure once they go into school, things will start to progress more rapidly. Well, I know one thing is for sure. Uh, we are grateful to have you around. The pace, you're go- the pace you are going is awesome because it's needed. And you are right. There is not a place. I don't know of any other website. No shade, but that's just dedicated, you know, to laws like you are. And so I know as an industry, we're happy that you fill that void because it just makes finding that information so easy. And so you're very much appreciated in our industry. And I can't wait to support you with all the things that you do in the future. And what are some things, speaking of future, that you would like to see change more in the industry? Um, I know you mentioned things that you wanted to change with Forager and the podcast, the future of that. But if you could even dream or fathom a future for the cottage baking laws, what are some things that you would like to see? Well, when I started this project with my uh, friend a decade ago, the concept there was to allow people to sell food within their local communities. And I wasn't thinking about non-perishable foods. I was thinking about lasagnas and any kind of food, right? I didn't know about any of the laws. I didn't know that meat had to be inspected in an ag, you know, a USDA facility. I didn't know about any of this stuff. So ideally, I mean, I would love to see more movement towards allowing people to sell their homemade food, which is something that people have been doing ever since the start of time. And not so many barriers or walls for an individual selling to an individual or selling at a very small scale. And fortunately, we're seeing a lot of progress in that area with the food freedom laws coming up in more and more states. And now we have these uh, micro enterprise home kitchen operation laws, also known as Miko laws or micro restaurant laws. So a couple of states have those now. And especially since the pandemic hit, we've definitely seen more acceptance into the fact that allowing people to sell their homemade food is, uh, you know, it's not just a hobby. It's really a livelihood for a lot of people. And it can make a difference in people's lives, especially people who are maybe a little bit less, like more underserved or maybe don't have the same opportunities as other people. So I I definitely would like to see that uh, the food freedom movement, the micro restaurant movement, I'd like to see that continue to grow. And uh, the food freedom movement has been growing since 2015. The micro restaurant movement has really mostly been growing since the pandemic and just from the seeds that I can see, there is a lot of potential there. And I would look, I expect that to grow significantly over the next few years. Awesome. I love that. And David, what are some ways, how can we uh, support you? What are some things that you have going on that maybe you want to tell the people about or that uh, you want to share? I know you have a a heart for sharing and and serving. It's it's evident since I was actually lucky to be a guest on uh, your podcast. Wink, wink. I think that's my favorite episode. I'm just teasing. <laughs> but, but what are some things that uh, you would like to share uh, here that you have for people or anything that can help? I mean, truthfully, Amanda, I'm not just saying this. Your episode is one of the best that I've ever had. That's for sure. 
but uh, definitely for people to support, I mean, listening to the podcast would be one thing for sure. And at the end of every episode, I talk about the mini course that I offer and I, that's really geared towards somebody who is just starting out. So I don't know if it would be as applicable to someone in your audience, but it, the the mini course still probably has some elements in there that are would be helpful to someone of any stage. So the mini course is something that you can sign up for, and then you can get onto my newsletter. And the newsletter, I, I share quite a bit of stuff that never makes it out into the public. So definitely law updates and, you know, things about the movement, podcast episodes, and then other things that that go on in my world. So um, joining the newsletter would be one way for sure. And, um, and listening to the podcast and, and leaving a review on the podcast is always helpful too. Yes, people, please leave reviews on podcasts. So I'll have a link to uh, David's podcast and information in the show notes. So if you're listening and that sounds like something you need because new people enter this industry all the time, go ahead and treat yourself and be sure to click the link in the show note so that you can get access to David and keep up as well. Uh, From the bottom of my heart, this was so eye opening and I love more than anything, I love when people come on and we do uh, similar things because I love other people that have a willingness and a heart to help and to serve. And I know you do that on your podcast, but even more so with your site. I mean, how many people have come to the site? Like what? <laughs> what probably thousands. That's so amazing, right? Oh, yes. There's many thousands per month that come to the website. Man, that's so awesome. So that means all of you thousands of people listening, you know, be sure to head over and visit and check them out. But David, before I let you leave, I cannot do that without playing a game of lightning round. Are you ready, David? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) David, what is your favorite color? Green. Green, really? Okay. What is a dessert you cannot live without? I'm going to have to go with fudge because that's <laughs> one that I sell. How do, how do you uh, eat so much fudge and stay so slim? That's what I want to know. I, I don't eat a whole lot of fudge. That's the thing. I, I don't. What is your or who is your celebrity crush? I, I can honestly say that I have never had a celebrity crush. I mean, I guess this is a... This tells you a little bit about how hyper-rational of a person I am. I just, it just never made sense to me to have a celebrity crush. I had crushes growing up, but they would have only been girls who I at least thought, at least at the time, not so sure now, but at least at the time thought I had a chance with. I just, I don't know if uh, my rational mind could, like, I just never would have been able to justify having a celebrity crush if that makes any sense if anything it just it never made sense to me that people have them it it does it does so you don't i i get it but if you know like personality types and person like i'm like i'm on the extreme end of rational <laughs> okay <laughs> all right what is your favorite book 
Ooh, my favorite book. Um, I don't know if it's a favorite or the book that I would recommend to people or the book that, that I'd say one of the books that has most changed my life was how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie, Carnegie. which is a very well-known book, but I have read that book so many times and it's because I need that book. I'm the hyper-rational person that's not as socially aware. So you're doing great. You're fine. And and I'll link the book in the show notes, but you're right. It is a really good read. And what is your favorite kitchen utensil? I'm going to go with my Thermapen instant read thermometer, which is an interesting choice, but that device, I, I have to say has help me in so many unexpected ways. I literally use it at least once a day. And once I can measure something, like it just makes things so much more convenient. And then with kids, it's even more beneficial. So, and I, I said the Thermapen because that device, we've literally had one for over 20 years and it still works flawlessly. So there's something about it that's just like so well-built and uh, it's expensive, but I use it obviously in my fudge candy making business all the time. Yeah. But yeah, it's the instant read thermom is just something a lot of people don't have. And because they don't have it, they don't know all the uses they could get out of it. You are, you are absolutely right. Um, I still have my same one from culinary school, and you're the first person who actually named the thermometer. So I'm so excited because everyone always goes towards the daggone spatula. So it's nice to hear of a, a different utensil. David, thank you so much. I love learning about um, all these little things about you, but we're going to have to find you a celebrity crush like Mariah Carey, J-Lo, someone. All right. <laughs> you can find it for me. I'm not, not sure if it's going to stick. But until then, all the amazing work you do uh, with the podcast and with Forger, we are so grateful. And David, before we go, tell people how can they find you, follow you, because I know you're on Instagram. Also share all the good deets to how we can keep in touch. Forager.com, F-O-R-R-A-G-E-R.com. That's where you'll find my website and there's links there to the podcast. You can also search for the Forager podcast on any podcast app. And if someone wants to go to forager.com slash mini dash course, they can sign up for my free mini course. Awesome sauce. Thank you so much, David. I'm so happy that we got to chat with you. Take care and you have an amazing day, darling. Thank you so much. All right, you guys. So how awesome was that? I always love learning about another uh, business owner and going behind the scenes and kind of seeing the things that they do and hearing about, you know, their story and just how he got started. And it's so awesome. And we've never had someone on the podcast who's so fudge, so fudge to me, like I said, uh, I think is so unique, but nonetheless, special thanks to 
David. Um, I really, really do appreciate it. I'm so happy to share all those resources with you guys. Be sure to click the link in the uh, show notes. All the things that we discussed will definitely be listed, but also take that amazing advice. You know, remember you guys, David discusses cottage law, not all laws. So think about the ways in which he listed, you know, if you want to make change, if you want to see it, how you can actually take part. And I think it's all so amazing for all of us to find any opportunity we can to speak and to use our voice to actually share with people and shape the cottage laws that we have in our state. You know, change doesn't come unless we make change. So it's always good to not only advocate, but to also take the time to educate ourselves so that we know what's possible for our own businesses. And the site is definitely dedicated to helping you do so. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. I appreciate y'all so much. Hope you enjoyed this episode and take care. Bye for now.